Alright, a little bit of a hiatus we were on, but we're back. Welcome to the Jungle Podcast. I'm Alex Frank, Justin Cashman. Joining me as always, Justin, how are you? Uh, a little bit of a longer time off than we expected. Pretty good down here in Jacksonville right now, which as we all know is the kind of center of a lot of football talk the last week or so with Urban Meyer. I guess the whole season with everything that he's done. Um, but now that he's out of the picture, uh, right now they're just worried about finding a new coach and who's going to coach his team in 2022 and beyond, hopefully. Um currently have the interim head coach for the last four games of the year but so it's very interesting to hear some of the conversations and listen to the radio and hear what everyone has to say about it because living in Cincinnati you're kind of just oh you, you just know about the Bengals but living down here you get to know a little bit more about the Jaguars so that's a, that's a little bit of fun sure the weather's nice down there too well, the weather's nice here too up in Cincinnati not that cold uh it's supposed to be nice in Denver this weekend as well that's where the Bengals are they're getting set to take on the Denver Broncos Sunday it's a 405 kickoff You can view the game live on CBS. You can hear the game live, of course, on ESPN 1530, 1027-WEBN, and 700-WLW, and all across the First Star Logistics, Bengals Radio Network, Dan Hoare, Dave Lapham, Wayne Boxmiller on the call. Telecast begins at 2.30. Coverage starts at noon on 700-WLW and ESPN 1530 with pregame sports talk with Chick Ludwig and Tim McGee. They'll be back after the game to react, reflect, and roar from Frickers. Not sure the Frickers location yet, but 9 or, excuse me, 8.30 to 11. Post-game sports talk on 700 WLW and ESPN 1530. Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, and Evan Washburn will have the call on CBS. A pair of 7-6 and six teams. The Bengals are 8th in the playoff picture, or ninth, excuse me, in the playoff picture right now in the AFC. The Broncos are 10th. Justin, that explains right there. The significance of this game, win, and you're still very much alive in the playoff race, lose, and the the outlook would look a lot more bleak. And as we're speaking right now, they're trying to figure out the current status of the Browns-Raiders game because of all the Browns positives. They have, I believe, at least 11 starters on the COVID list, and even more than that, um, including the backups. So I, I can't imagine that they don't postpone it. Um, I don't think they'd make the Browns forfeit that game. I'm I'm really not sure. I think that's all kind of up in the air. Um, but if you're a Bengals fan, you really, 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 really do not want this game to get postponed because you want the Raiders to go out there and play a Browns team missing half of their starters. Um, that would be great because if the Browns lose and if the Ravens lose, which the Ravens will not have, it, well, at least it sounds like they will not have Lamar Jackson because he has not practiced this week for this weekend's game against Green Bay. And even if they did have him, I'd still take Green Bay in that game. But... If both those teams lose those games and the Bengals beat Denver on Sunday, the Bengals will be number one in the division, and it's their it's their division to lose. So uh, I know we say every game after the bye is a must-win, but this is really, really a must-win. No question about it, especially after coming off of two straight losses to the Bengals and 49ers. And we'll get to all the other action around the Bengals and as far as the playoff picture goes. So we did not record a recap show from the Bengals game against San Francisco. So... I feel like we should start there. Let's get to what we think the state of this team is. So Sunday, the Bengals go up against San Francisco. They're losing 20-6 in the fourth quarter. There really isn't much life within the team. Uh, But then all of a sudden, as if a flip of a switch or whatever it was, Joe Burrow just starts dropping dimes all over the field to Jamar Chase twice for touchdowns, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. Next thing you know, the Bengals tied the game. 
Robbie Gold, the 49ers kicker, misses a field goal at the end of regulation. The game goes to overtime. The Bengals score a field goal in their first possessions. They have the opportunity to stop San Francisco and win the game, but the Niners go 75 yards on their overtime drive and win the game on a game-winning touchdown to Brandon Ayuk from Jimmy Garoppolo. The Bengals fall 26-23 to in overtime. But, Justin, it's much more than that. It's the overtime drive itself where Joe Burrow gets the Bengals to the 49ers' 26-yard line in just three plays. And so you're thinking, okay, the Bengals are going to maybe win the game right there. And I'm like, okay, take one shot at the end zone. But instead, it's run, run, and then a sack on third and three. Justin, I since we haven't talked about it yet, what did you make of Zach Taylor's play calling at the end of the Bengals' drive in overtime and really throughout the game? Because from the moment they, they kicked their first field goal on fourth and one from the 49ers' 19-yard line, it just it, it you should have sensed it then that this was going to be a game where the Bengals were going to do a lot of things well, but conservative play calling was going to hold them back from really asserting themselves and winning this game. And I, I have to say this. So what I've said all season is, you know, especially, you know, you look at the games like Las Vegas where the run game might not work incredibly well in the first half, but you have to stick with it. And you saw in the Vegas game, they stuck with it and actually paid dividends. I mean, it actually went very well in the second half. And that's primarily why that one, why they won that game was because of Joe Mixon, uh, Joe Mixon the day that he had. Uh, and in this game, the running game did not work throughout the entire game. Um, didn't work in the first, second, qu- second quarter, and then it didn't work in the third or fourth. So it was not getting the running game wasn't getting going at all. Um, so my question is, with Joe Burrow with the hot hand, you know, because we saw it on that touchdown drive to tie the game, um, he was dropping dimes to Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. He was just spreading the ball all over the field. Um, why is it your first drive in overtime you decide to get down that that far in the field on the 49ers side of the field and then you decide to run the ball twice and then set yourself up for a third and three which is still manageable it's not i'm not trying to say that third and three isn't manageable but the way that our offensive line was playing how, poor, how poorly they were playing all day long why would you want to not put the ball in joe burrow's hands earlier in that drive or earlier on that possession i should say on like the first and second down it just made no sense to me and I, I don't want to say the play calling was terrible throughout the entire game. Um, obviously, the two dropped punts by Darius Phillips that was a huge factor in the game. That's why they got so far behind. And they were able to manage and come back, and the defense played well. Uh, but when you get into overtime, you have a chance to win the game, and you have a quarterback that has a hot hand. I believe Joe Burrow finished with about 340 yards. Keep it in his hands. Don't take it out. And I know that's kind of the sentiment that everybody on Bengals Twitter was saying is – why would he take it out of your second-year QB's hands? I would have given so much confidence if he could go down the field and throw a game-winning touchdown. And then not only keep yourself in the playoffs, but possibly be first in the division. Uh, it made no sense to me. It made absolutely zero sense to me. And the offensive line, I believe, gave up five sacks. They were not playing very well whatsoever. So it's like, why put him in that position um, on a third and three when the offensive line hasn't been able to block in third downs the entire game, give the ball back to a – 49ers offense that has George Kittle that's been shredding you up all day um it just made no sense to me at all no it really didn't and I, I the thing that stands out to me is if you have a feel for the game someone texted me after the game you know Zach Taylor doesn't have a feel for the game if you have a feel for the game you would know you would feel that Joe Burrow was as people have said white hot to that point I mean he he led two scoring drives in the fourth quarter had it not been for a drop from Jamar Chase 
on another drive in the fourth quarter. It could have been three straight, and then we wouldn't we wouldn't have even been in that position in overtime to begin with. But I think about, you know, when you get to the 49ers 26-yard line, you have to take one shot at the end zone there. You have to continue to be aggressive. I understand the 49ers, and, you know, give them credit for what they were trying to do. They knew that our, that their secondary was their weakness. They knew what Joe Burrow was doing, testing their corners, and their corners were getting beat in the fourth quarter and overtime. Their secondary was getting absolutely gashed. Hell, they lost a player in the game to injury, Dante Johnson. So the 49ers had to come up with a plan to try and make the Bengals, as Paul Daner Jr. has said this week, take the bait, and they did. Now, I've, as I've thought about it more this week, I, you know, it, it's so easy right after the game ends, and it's so easy the next day to just be so mad at what Zach Taylor did with his play calling, you know, going two straight runs, you know, and Joe Burrow, give him credit for his answer at his postgame press conference. Well, we have to execute every play like it's going to be a touchdown. Now he's thinking to himself, why in the hell did we not pass the ball there? And they, and they should have, because it, let's say, and you know what, if you throw two straight incompletions, one to the end zone, one, maybe to the first down marker and none of them work out. And then you only get like three yards. So be it. At least you took a shot. But you didn't. And I can always live with, you know, um, if something did not happen, and as opposed to what could have been if we had done that, because you never know. We'll never know. Why would you stop doing something that is working for you? If something, you know, one one thing I try to live my life by, if, if I'm doing something and what I'm doing is working, I'm going to continue to do that. I'm not going to change what I'm doing you know, you know, don't mess with success. And the success was the passing game against the 49ers depleted secondary. And the Bengals basically gave the 49ers a chance. And if you give a team like San Francisco a chance that they shouldn't have, they're going to take advantage of it. The more I think about it, it's like, okay, why did Zach Taylor call two straight run plays? Well, maybe he wanted to make sure the Bengals got points. Maybe you know, he knows Joe Burrow leads the league in interceptions, maybe because Burrow had been sacked four times prior to that. You know, it, it could be a lot of things. I don't know. But the point of the matter is this. You cannot coach scared. Justin, do you think Andy Reid would have taken the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands in that situation? Not at all. Not whatsoever. Do you think that um, Bruce Arians would have, or Byron Leftwich would have taken the ball out of Tom Brady's hands? No. No, not at all. And I think we can say the same thing. Would Matt LaFleur take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands? Oh, especially not Aaron Rodgers. Hmm. By the way, Justin, last night at the Chiefs-Chargers game, which we'll get to at the end of the show, it was a fantastic football game last night. Did, did, did Brandon Staley take the ball out of Justin Herbert's hands? He did not. I mean, I do kind of disagree with a little bit of the fourth down calls throughout the game, but... It shows confidence in his young quarterback, and I do think that's a really good thing to, you know, do as a young head coach. Hmm. All right. So, it, again, it, it just goes back to having a feel for the game. Joe Burrow was playing very well in a game the Bengals had no business even being in with all the mistakes they made and all the conservative play calling and decisions leading up to it. But there the Bengals were with a chance to win the game. With all the momentum going to first place in the AFC North, you know, you got a winnable game this Sunday at Denver, which we'll get to here. But And there were a lot of things that happened in that game. 
not just the play calling. Darius Phillips has two muff punts. Why he was out there for the second time, I'll never know. Von Bell's controversial taunting penalty, um, kicking two field goals in the first half. You know, there, there were a lot of things. Jamar Chase had some drop passes. Th there was one, Justin, in the first quarter. See, here's, here's the thing. You think about the flow of the game. Jamar Chase has a drop pass in the first quarter. The Bengals are gifted their first possession of the game on the 49ers 46 yard line. Don't you have to score there in that situation? You have to. I mean, it's vital. I mean, it's hard to come back from a deficit, and that's just free points that you're giving up at that point. Exactly. And the Bengals gave up a lot of free points in this game. Evan McPherson did miss a field goal in regulation. I'm not going to you know, really think too much about that as opposed to the other you know, bad things that happened on Sunday. But I want to ask you a bigger picture question. So the Bengals are 2-4 and four in their last six games. I mean, they're, they're not playing well right now. You know, they're not playing well enough to win. They're playing hard. I'm not denying that. They're playing hard, but they're not playing well enough to win. Justin, do you think the Bengals peaked when they were 5-2 and two in that blowout victory in Baltimore? I do, and I said it uh, last week, is I think we kind of got naive a little bit. Um, as I did just get an update that the Browns-Raiders game is getting moved to next Monday, and the Seahawks Rams game is going to possibly get moved to Tuesday. So the Ram or excuse me, the Browns and the Raiders game will be played on Monday rather than this Sunday or this Saturday, excuse me. Um, but I do think that we were a little naive throughout the season to say, oh, the Bengals haven't played their best football. You know, they're still hitting their stride uh, because the running game wasn't necessarily amazing. But then also uh, the offense as a whole wasn't really that amazing. I mean, outside of a few great plays by Jamar Chase, I mean, it really wasn't anything special, but the defense was playing extremely well. Um, and I think that's why we were 5-2 and two because, um, you know, they were keeping us in these games and giving Joe Burrow and this offense a possibility to score the points later on throughout the game because they couldn't get it going in the first half. And some games they did, some games they didn't. Um, and so we, I think we wanted to believe that the Bengals weren't playing their best football, but looking back on it now, they were they were playing their best football and they couldn't get the run game going the past two weeks. I mean, they played the Chargers at home. The, the Chargers defense was giving up the most rushing yards per game on defense, 145 yards per game. And Joe Mixon had about 55 yards and the offense didn't even go for over a hundred rushing yards uh, as a team. So I don't know what it is. I don't know why this rushing game with Joe Mixon already over a thousand yards. He's obviously having a good season. Why it's stalling out at this point in the season. Um, I don't know if Joe Mixon's dealing with an injury or whatever it may be. I don't know if it's just the offensive line, not getting enough push, but this offense uh, clearly is running out of juice and now Riley Reef, our starting right tackle is on IR. And Zach Taylor said today, he's probably going to miss the rest of the season. So it's it's all coming down it's all going downhill very fast and at the worst possible time when you're really trying to make that playoff push. Real quick, where did that notification come in about the Browns Raiders and Seahawks Rams games being postponed? Uh, Josina Anderson tweeted out the Browns Raiders game, and I I believe it was Tom Pelissero who tweeted out the, that it would possibly be moved the Rams Seahawks game. And sorry, it was Adam Schefter who said the NFL was discussing switching the Seahawks at Rams to Tuesday. Okay, so as we you know continue along, so that would mean that instead of this Saturday, it would be just a few days later, um, Monday and Tuesday with the Browns, Raiders on Monday, and then the Seahawks and the Rams um, for Tuesday. 
interesting there. And, uh, you know, this is a really interesting, you know, development here over the last week where you have teams that have had COVID outbreaks. And, and really, the NFL has done a great job up to this point. Sure, you've had some players test positive and miss games. Ben Roethlisberger missed a game. Um, Aaron Rodgers missed a game. I'm trying to think if any other head coaches missed a game. Mike McCarthy missed a game uh just a few weeks ago so i mean this i mean this isn't new but it is a little bit unexpected hopefully it's just a one-week thing as we head into the stretch run but going back to some points you made there justin he here's what i'm seeing you know you talk about joe mixon in the run game not they have not been able to get it going the last two weeks now there's a combination of reasons why one is they they have fallen behind early in both games they were down 24 nothing before you could blink against the chargers and then they, you know, got off to a slow start against San Francisco. The Niners go up 10-3 to early in the second quarter, and the Bengals are going to revert to their passing game just a little bit more. But, you know, the other things are the, the Chargers and 49ers defensive lines are very solid, and the offensive line, for whatever reason, has just not been able to, you know, make uh, adjustments. And what I'm seeing is, you know, the Bengals coaching staff is not to the point where they're able to counter, excuse me, the adjustments that opposing coaching staffs, excuse me, are making in advance. You know, the Chargers coaching staff probably saw the week before that they played the Bengals when the Bengals ran all over the Steelers and ran all over the Raiders, two teams that the Chargers have played okay, they were going to make adjustments. But a first-year head, but rookie head coach in Brandon Staley, you know, and a, a defense that, yes, is very good, but sucks in run game. So it's just really a matter of the coaching staff, sorry, for the Bengals, being able to make those adjustments as other teams do, counter those adjustments. You know, when you get noticed in this league, I feel like, Justin, and for those of you listening, I'm sure you agree, and Justin, I'm sure you do too, when something works for you in this league, yeah, teams are going to take notice. Look at what the Bengals, look at what teams did to Jamar Chase after week seven. You know, teams have not played a lot of man coverage against the Bengals since week seven. And the Bengals, you know, they've done okay in the passing game. Burrow has had two straight 300-yard passing games but it's mostly been about the Bengals' run game. So now teams have figured out how to defend Jamar Chase. They're not going to play man coverage. They're going to, you know, find ways to slow you down in the run game. And this is where the Bengals' offensive coaching staff has to come in and say, okay, how do we make these adjustments? Justin, what are you seeing? Yeah, and... You hear all the time from the coaches that they're constantly making adjustments. And we've even heard Joe Burrow say um, at halftime that Zach Taylor is a very good, um, you know, very good at making adjustments at halftime. But not from what we've seen. I mean, Joe Burrow can go out there and say as much as he wants, but that doesn't really mean anything unless you're actually producing on the field. And not to say that, um, you know, they didn't play well in the second half against the 49ers or the Chargers, um, but there's just some certain plays that just you're just like scratching your head you're like what the hell was that um but it happens you know and it's not just the Bengals. every team does this you know they always preach that they're making adjustments and that they're doing different things uh, you know learning off what they did bad and you know improving on what they did better or on what they did good so they can be better at it um 
and every team, you know, sometimes they do well with it. Sometimes they don't. Zach Taylor's no different. But there's a reason why they're seven and six is because it seems like when they got to five and two, um, I, I think I think even the Bengals thought that they still hadn't hit their stride, that there's still a lot more for them to do on offense. And I mean, they're not wrong. They still had a lot to do on offense, but they were five and two. They were five and two for a reason because the things that they were doing on offense were working. And they can't really do a whole lot when it comes to coverage with Jamar Chase. Sometimes it's just the you know, the lay of the land and you can't really do much about it. That's why you have two other wide receivers and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd who you can throw to. But um, I think Zach Taylor just decided to make changes and he wanted to continue to adapt the offense and change the offense, get the run game going. Okay. It worked for a couple of games, but now you're at this point losing the last two, two games straight. And it's like, did they do too much to change? I think so. So I think they did way too much to try and keep improving this offense when they didn't realize that the offense is already playing at a good enough level to get them to five and two. Someone said it um, to me after the Bengals lost to the Jets. And they said that they would have rather had the Bengals lose to the Ravens and beat the Jets. And I disagree with that because of how good the win was over the Ravens and the fact that the loss to the Jets, while as bad and, and as egregious as it was, look, that's been happening around the league all season long. The Ravens lost to the Dolphins. The Titans lost to the Texans. The Broncos beat the Cowboys. Um, uh, throw any other upset in there. Uh, the excuse me, the Steelers and the Lions playing to a tie. Whatever, whatever it is, you're, the Cardinals losing to Carolina. You're seeing this happen around the league. But the more I think about it, it's the Jets game is a game you should win. The Ravens was a game that the Bengals weren't supposed to win, yet they did. And for a team that's still young and for a team that has a lot of personalities, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, look, you know, they had to realize, and Jesse Bates said after the game at Baltimore that if you didn't think that they had arrived, that they had arrived now. And while I still believe this team can get to the playoffs, while I still believe this team can win the division, I just think, okay, you know, maybe if things had happened a little more gradually, if they had beaten the Jets but lost to Baltimore, if they had, you know, um if it had been that way around, they'd be five and three still, but no. And then I, I was asked by Tim McGee on Sunday, do, do you, are we expecting too much of this team? And that's why, yes, yeah, seven and six is disappointing given that this team was five and two and all of the talent this team has, and they're not using it and it's not winning games. You know, when you think about it, the Bengals have lost four of their last six games and three of those games or winnable. This team could be 10-3 and three right now. Instead, they're 7-6. and six. Now, on one hand, you can say, well, we didn't really expect much of this team coming into the season, but then we saw the 3-1 and one start. We saw the close call with Green Bay. We saw the blowout in Baltimore that got them to 5-2. and two. We saw the blowout of Pittsburgh that got them, that got them to 7-4. and four. So, it can be, you know, yes, we expect them to be 7-6. and six. We're happy with the progress being made, but on the other hand, it's like, well, the Bengals could be better given how they played and the fact that they're still blowing these games. Justin, when you think about where the Bengals are right now, are is did we expect this? Um, are we disappointed? Or is it both? I think if you were to ask me this um, before the season even started, you know, with a chance to be first in the division, be seven and six and have a chance of making the playoffs, I'd say, oh, that's amazing. You know, that's way better than what I thought we might be. Um, not to say that I didn't think the Bengals were going to be bad this year. I don't remember what my uh, win total was prediction at the beginning of the season, but um, 
having gone through that and having been five and two and having beat, beaten the Ravens 41 to 17 on the road and having, if you told me that we were going to sweep the uh, Steelers um, and win a, bit, a, a bunch of other really important games, I'd say, okay, that's awesome. But now we're at seven and six. We were five and two. Um, you lose some really, really critical games, games that you could have very easily won had it been just for a few different adjustments. Um, it's very upsetting. It's very disappointing. And I don't want to say, I was telling you before the show that it's almost like in other seasons with the Bengals, you kind of get to that point where it's like, once you realize they're not in the playoffs and they're not really playing for anything, you kind of get to that point where it's like, you still care. You still want them to do well because that's your favorite team. Um, but on the other hand, you're almost like, this is hard to watch because they're just getting blown out every, every weekend and they're not playing well. And it's like, what's the point of watching them? But you continue to watch them. And I'm obviously not at that point because we still have a chance to be number one in the division come this weekend, or I guess after Monday, after the Browns play the Raiders, if they uh, Browns lose and the Ravens lose and we win. But, you know, you look at the Broncos and the Chiefs and the Browns and the Ravens, you still have to play all those teams the last four games. And you're like, it's a real uphill battle. And, Right now, if you ask me, I don't think the Bengals are up to it. I don't think the Bengals have the, enough mental fortitude to be able to win all those games and make that playoff push, in my opinion, because they just, they've just they shown that they cannot be consistent because one week they look amazing, like they could be a top-10 team in the NFL, and the next they look like they could lose to almost anybody in the NFL. So it just makes absolutely zero sense to me. Um, right now, I'm just kind of hoping for the best, but uh, expecting the worst, if that makes any sense. Well, given what this franchise has done, I mean, you are hoping for the best, but you have seen it end in ways that you don't like. And, you know, I go back to th this team right now was reminding me a lot of that 2011 team. That team started off six and two. And the next thing you know, they lose four out of five and they get to seven and six. This team started off five and two. They're now back to seven and six. So, you know, there's still a lot that can happen. I, I, I think the Bengals can definitely win their next two games, get to nine and six. And then it's like, okay, you beat Kansas City, then hey, you know, all that worrying was for naught because the way it's shaking out right now, 10 wins should net you a wild card berth. The Chargers lost last night. They're 8-6. They don't have an easy schedule ahead of them. You know, the Colts have a tough game tomorrow night against New England. They're 7-6. and six. Um, And so many other teams are right there with them, the, the Browns included, which, by the way, um, Adam Schefter just tweeted about a moment ago, so Monday night, you got two games now, Raiders-Browns, which you alluded to, Justin, and then Vikings and Bears. So Raiders and Browns at 5 o'clock, and then the Vikings and the Bears at 8.20. So uh, definitely, you know, Bengals fans will have their eyes on the Raiders and Browns game. They'll be rooting for the Raiders. Well, the, the Bengals have to take care of business on Sunday first, but I just think, you know, I've seen this before where the Bengals get you excited early on, but then they find a way to lose a game they shouldn't, and then they just sputter. And as you mentioned, with Justin, with that uphill battle, it's like, and these teams, you know, they're not going to just roll over. And, you know, just because the Bengals are, are the more conservative team, that doesn't mean that, that they're going to let them win the game just because they have more talent. No, you have to be the more aggressive team. And once again, you know, I thought we were beyond this from the Marvin Lewis days when you know, they would tighten up in big games. They wouldn't play loose, and the other team would take advantage of that. You know, I want to see them play the Bengals with their hair on fire. Not, you know, it, it worked for two weeks taking what the defense was giving you and running the football, but teams catch on to that. Now you have to go back to being aggressive. You know, Joe Burrow's pinky's fine, for all we know at least. He threw for 348 yards last week. 
you know, and all the speculation was, oh, is he going to play? How's that pinky going to limit him and whatever? No, Joe Burrow was fantastic last Sunday. You have to ride that to the playoffs. This team can still get there. But right now, the Bengals are the same old Bengals that they have been for so long, even with as much as this year has felt different than many other years. Yeah, they swept Pittsburgh. Yeah, they won a game over Minnesota they shouldn't have won. You know, yeah, they, um, whatever else that has felt different about this season. They played Green Bay tough, whatever. It doesn't matter unless you make the playoffs first and then win a playoff game, and then it'll feel different. But you have to take care of business on Sunday. Every game, as Joe Burrow says, it's a must-win game, but you have to be the more urgent team. You know, at 7-4, and four, it was easy to sit up there and be like, oh, yeah, we're fine. You know, we're going to make the playoffs. One slip up against the Chargers, fine, but you can't. But 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 what happened Sunday could not have happened. It couldn't have happened, and it did. Now you have to win out, preferably to be safely in the playoffs. And it's just, and it, I think a lot of people are kind of underestimating the Broncos too, because they're like, oh, it's Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, you know, if he doesn't do well, it's Drew Locke, and they're like, this is an easy team. Well, the Broncos are seven and six; they're fighting for a playoff spot just as well. Um, it's not going to be an easy game. And uh, they have a lot of weapons on offense. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant. I mean, they are absolutely loaded. Not even to mention their running game, Melvin Gordon at Javante Williams, who have been playing at a very high level. Um, and then their defense is playing at a very high level. They have very good corners, who I believe are top 10 in passing defense and top 10 in rushing defense. Um, so it's going to be a very tough game on the road. Historically, Denver is not a very easy place to play at, especially if you're the Bengals. So, I mean, you got to take care of business, but... You can't, I mean, you, you're obviously hoping for the Ravens and Browns to lose in the Steelers too because they're right in the mix of everything, but you can't take this game lightly. You really have to go in there like your hair's on fire and actually, you know, try and win that game to the best of your ability rather than counting on everyone else to lose. No question about it. Let's talk about the Broncos because, as you mentioned, you know, they're a team that some might take lightly. Some of you listening to this podcast might take them lightly, but I'm not because this Broncos team, they kind of have been playing the opposite of the Bengals. In their last um, six games since they since week seven, when they were three and four and had lost their fourth straight game, they've gone four and two. And you may not realize that, but they have four wins in their last six games. And by the way, their wins are no slouches either. They won a game at home against the Washington football team, a team that would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. They won a game at Dallas. Dallas is the leader of the NFC East right now by three games. They won a game against the Chargers, who are currently eight and six, and they won a game and they blew out the Lions, which is what they should have done. So you can say what you want about them that they don't have talent, that they're boring to watch, whatever. I know we've said that before, but this is a good Broncos team, and it's a team that is not going to, you know, let the Bengals just come in and run all over them and run them off the field, right? I mean, you would hope not. The only thing that I'm really worried about is obviously our linebackers having Logan Wilson out, having a King Davis Gaither who hasn't played in a very long time. And then, but you also, you think about our backups, Clay Johnson isn't playing, Joe Batchy. I mean, I believe he's going to be the starter next to Jermaine Pratt. And then the other two guys are just going to be practice squad guys, Austin Calitro and Keandre Jones, who we really don't know where we're going to get from them. So it's, if you're having those guys go up against, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, two guys who both had, especially coming off last week, they're on a high man. They played very, very well against the Lions, which I guess really isn't saying all that much. But um, 
that's going to be a huge matchup. And if the Bengals can't take advantage of that, um, or at least play competent enough to stop the run, then I could very easily see us losing a game like we did last week. It's going to be about the Bengals being able to defend that middle of the field. And we, and we heard about it after watching what George Kittle did to the Bengals last Sunday, 13 receptions, 151 yards and a touchdown. My goodness. And then you're going up against, you know, your tight end in this case is Noah Fant, who has 53 catches, doesn't have very many yards after the catch. The Broncos, Justin, are a team that reminds me a lot of the 49ers in that they're going to play a lot of their offense within the chains. They're not necessarily going to take many deep shots down the field. In fact, I think only two of their touchdowns this season have come from 16 or more yards. So they're a team that likes to run the football. They like to grind you out. They like to milk the clock. And then they're going to punch it in the end zone. They have a very good red zone success rate when they get in the red zone and turning them into touchdowns. I think it's over 80%. So this is a team that if you aren't fundamentally sound against them and you overlook them, they will make you pay. Very similar to the Jets. You know, the Bengals took them lightly and look what happened. They can't do that in this week. And hopefully by now we've reached a point in the season where Zach Taylor knows who the personnel is, and how to call plays to, to utilize them. And B, you're at a point where you can't take anybody lightly. You know, the next four games are against teams all five, all above 500. If that doesn't, if that doesn't you know, stress the sense of urgency enough, I don't know what will. Yeah, I don't know either. And just having, like knowing your schedule at the end of the season if you can't beat the Broncos, then you're not going to be able to beat the Raiders, Browns, or Chiefs because those are obviously, I think, three tougher games than uh, the Broncos are. So if you can't beat the Broncos, then you might as well just say goodbye to your season because this is kind of the game, um, this last four-game stretch, this last quarter of the season, this is the game where you're saying, okay, we win this game, we're back on track, we've beaten the Ravens once before. Yeah, we lost to the Browns the first time around, but you never know with the Browns. Um and Baker Mayfield and the way that they've been playing this season, it's really kind of up in the air. It's kind of 50-50. The Chiefs, uh, obviously, that'd be a very tough game. Number one team in the AFC, and they they are playing at a very high level. Um, so you really need this game to kickstart a run. And if you lose this game, then it's going to be really tough to come back and try and beat Baltimore, Kansas City, and Cleveland. Yeah, you want to be in a position, and looking at this bigger picture, four games, you want to be in a position where you're not facing Kansas City 8-7, and seven, or seven and eight. If you go into that game nine and six, then you have a little bit of breathing room. It's one of those games where I don't want to say, I want to say you can play with house money, but you, re- I really shouldn't. But it's one of those games where you know if you take care of business against Denver on the road, a team you should be, and you take care of business against Baltimore at home, a team you should be. Baltimore right now, Justin, we're, and we'll talk about this more next week. Do you fear Baltimore as much as you did the first time the Bengals played them? Not whatsoever, and I don't care if Lamar Jackson's back there at quarterback. I don't care if it's Tyler Huntley. I do not fear them whatsoever. Um, and I hate to say it because, yeah, they have had a lot of injuries, so I think that does kind of play a part in it. But even with the injuries, they should – I mean, people are still expecting them to be a very good football team. And we absolutely beat the brakes off them the first time around on the road. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, you saw it. He has a capability of turning the ball over several times in a game. I mean, he threw for four interceptions against Cleveland. I'm not saying that we look good against Cleveland, but my God, he looked absolutely horrendous. But somehow they still managed to win that game. And then they lose against Pittsburgh, a team that we smacked on twice. So, I mean, 
But then again, it's, it is it is a weird AFC. I mean, like, you can't always say, oh, well, this team lost to this team, so we should be able to beat these, this team. No, it's it's just not like that. Um, I don't fear Baltimore. I really don't fear Cleveland whatsoever. Yeah, they beat us 41-16, to but should I fear them? No, I don't fear Baker Mayfield. I don't fear, fear the, the Browns, and I definitely don't fear the Steelers. So it's it's kind of weird because you're like, okay, we're seven and six. We're, what, third in the division? Uh, we should be fearing these other teams, but at the end of the day, I really don't. Well, I mean, I think you have to be a little weary of Cleveland because of what they've done against the Bengals the last few times these two, those two teams have matched up. Baker Mayfield, for whatever reason, has the Bengals' number, and we saw that earlier this season when all the momentum felt like it was away from Cleveland and the Bengals were going to have a big bounce-back game against them in Week 9, and then the Browns ultimately bow-raced them out of their own stadium. So you do have to fear them a little bit. I mean, do I think the Bengals can beat them this, the second time around? Absolutely. You just never know. Like, you know, you're still struggling to figure, you know, to, to, to figure your team out. But you're you're at a point now where, you know, every single game matters. You know, I, I said last week it's getting late. Yeah, the San Francisco game was a wake-up call because it is getting late. And, and you're sensing the wall starting to cave in a little bit. You've gone from being at the top of the AFC to being in, what, ninth place now? Yeah, I mean, if you can finish the season, though, winning three of your last four games— if you get to ten and seven, that means you would have gone five and five since your five and two start. And for a young team, look, that is good. It could be better, yes. But listen, like I said again, did we expect this team to be as good as they were to start the season? I don't know. Let's go to Denver and talk about Teddy Bridgewater and our opposing quarterback thoughts segment of of this preview show, Justin. Obviously, for me and for those of you listening, um, he is one of the most likable players in the league. You know. He doesn't make a lot of headlines. He goes in, he does his job. He's had, when he's been on the field, outside of maybe a bad stint at Carolina last year, a very productive career. Took the Vikings to the playoffs in 2015 with the NFC North Championship. Um, if it would have been for one of the most horrific injuries in recent history in 2016, who knows where he would be now. He might still be with Minnesota. He, ha- he has a five-game stint with the Saints in 2019. He fills in for Drew Brees. He wins five straight games and looked very, very good doing so. So he's had essentially a journey, maybe a journeyman's career, but at the same time, he's made an impact on every team he's played on. Now this year, as a, as the Broncos' full-time starter, he missed two games. Did he miss two games? No, he has not missed two games. Excuse me. Uh, he's just under 3,000 yards passing. He's completing 67.6% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's not a big-time quarter explosive playmaker like a Mahomes, a Herbert, or a Joe Burrow. But, Justin, he's an effective quarterback. So what do you see from Bridgewater? I think he's a game manager. That's how I would describe him. He needs a very good run game, which he has with Denver. Like we mentioned, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, a rookie out of North Carolina, have had very good seasons. Um Melvin Gordon, I don't think, is a running back he used to be, but he's finding success there in Denver. They have a very good offensive line. Um, He's one of those guys that he's not going to wow you uh, with his arm. He's not going to wow you with his accuracy. But what he can do is with a very good run game and, you know, above average wide receivers, he can win a lot of games. And we saw that when Drew Brees went down with his thumb injury in that uh, L.A. game where he smashed his uh, thumb on the side of Aaron Donald's helmet. And Teddy Bridgewater came in and won five games. He was 5-0 in those games. I believe it was 5-0. And so, obviously, the Saints at that time had a very good offense, very good run game with Alvin Kamara and very good wide receivers, especially Michael Thomas. 
Um, and that's kind of where he finds himself in Denver, where he's surrounded by very good talent, and especially having a very good offensive line. Um, it's going to help you a lot, and that's why they're seven and six with a chance to go into the playoffs. Because if Denver had below a below average run game and below average wide receivers, this team would probably have three or four wins. But with Teddy Teddy Bridgewater, what I would consider a game manager, and having those weapons, uh, they're playing very good very good football, and they they have a very good defense on the other side of the ball. So they're not a team that we can take lightly. They're they're just as hard. I mean, we're, we need to treat this game as if it's a Super Bowl. Every I mean, every player's kind of saying that every game from here on out, we have to treat like a playoff game. We have to treat like a Super Bowl, and this game is no different. If you think Teddy Bridgewater is going to go out there and not play his best football, then you're completely wrong that they're going to rely on the run game. You're completely wrong because they want you to believe that they're going to run the ball a bunch. They're going to want you to believe that they're going to try and run the ball 40 times between Melvin Gore and Javante Williams. But what they're going to do is run a lot of play action off of that. Find Cortland Sutton, find Jerry Judy, those guys that you know can be those uh, deep threats down the field. And with Shadobia Wuzie out, yeah, we're getting Trey Waynes back, but this is only his second game in two years with the Bengals. So they're going to try and take advantage of that. And uh, I do expect Teddy Bridgewater to have a very nice game, but they're going to really want to try and complement that play-action pass game off the run game. Well, they, they definitely want to run the ball first. I mean, at one point, I think Jesse Bates alluded to it earlier this week that they ran the ball 28 straight times last week against Denver. But if you, and this is one of my keys to the game, if you can force Denver in a third and long and force Teddy Bridgewater to throw the ball over the field, Denver has a solid group of pass catchers, Jerry, Judy, Cortland, Sutton, Tim, Patrick, Noah Fant. But at the same time, I, I, I see a team that, you know, they're not explosive offensively. They're not very, you know, they're not an entertaining brand of football, but it's effective. They want to run the football. They want to make it easy on the quarterback, you know, who's had a significant injury, who hasn't had a lot of playing experience outside of maybe one full season in Minnesota in his career. So you're right, Justin, they want to build their passing game off of their ground game, which I, I think it's something the Bengals want to as well. So these two teams kind of mirror images of each other. So let's take a look at the keys to the game. I think number one, first and foremost, God, remember two weeks ago when, you know, I said, are we to the point now where we can retire the first key of the, every game being protect the franchise? I think the last two weeks, the answer has been a resounding no. Yeah, not at all. Five sacks against the 49ers. I believe it was the same against the Chargers. Um, just they cannot stop. They cannot stop those very good edge rushers. And Riley Reef, even when, when he's in, he is not playing very well. Um but unfortunately, we're down to Isaiah Prince. Maybe not even him. It's, it sounds like it's probably going to be Fred Johnson. They cannot protect Joe Burrow to save their life right now. And he's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL for a reason. Because as much as we want to say that they worked on this offensive line this offseason, I mean, it's showing that they really didn't do that much. By the way, you know, we talk about this coaching staff not being able to make adjustments throughout the course of the season. That's why when the Bengals peaked and teams figured out ways to combat them this coaching staff has not been able to counter those here's this stat for you in weeks three through seven when the Bengals went four and one going from one and one to five and two joe burrow was sacked just seven times over that five game stretch since then just in six games guess how many times he's been sacked oh god i don't even want to guess okay i don't, I don't, I don't even know if i want to know 24 oh god i mean that's just and I get that you want to put in, you want to keep your guys in, and that's why they brought in Frank Pollock because you want to keep your guys in. You don't want to have a bunch of turnover on a week-to-week -week basis, kind of how it was 
uh, last year where one guy would be a starter, a, a right tackle one week and the next he'd be a left guard, that kind of thing. It just made no sense. And they finally have some some stability on the offensive line, at least on that left side. Trey Hopkins, yeah, he's an okay center, but he's having a very down year and he's dealt with injuries. And then that right guard has been a revolving door all year and you have Riley Reed, but now he's hurt, so you have Isaiah Prince. Um, but when it doesn't work, like you just need to do something. You need to bring in any guys that you can. You need to do something to make it work because obviously it has not worked for quite some time. No, and, and that's the thing too. Frank Pollock was brought back here for two things. One, because of the success the offensive line had with him in 2018, and along with that too is his ability as the run game coordinator. You would think that over the last two games, and I get it, they fell behind the Chargers 24 to nothing, so you're not going to run the football very much in that situation. But against against San Francisco, you're only down 10 to 3. Why aren't you running the football? You know, why can't Frank Pollock make these adjustments? He was brought in for a reason, and he hasn't made any adjustments the last two weeks. That's the most maddening part about this. I mean, as much as I think everyone likes Frank Pollock, you got to admit that uh, bringing him in can only do so much. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he can teach guys different techniques and he can teach them different things and bring in certain guys or have some input on the guys that they bring in on the offensive line. But at the end of the day, he's not out there on the field and the guys that are are not playing very well. So it's, um, you know, you want to give crap to Frank Pollock, but he only has so much pull and so much lean, and he only has so much to work with. Um, and when you have guys, you know, in and out of uh, IR with injury or just guys that haven't been playing well, it's it's very tough to deal with. But why haven't they been able to make those adjustments? Because, again, we we view Frank Pollock as this offensive line coaching god, given the, you know, we, the last two years the Bengals put up with Jim Turner, and we put up with Jim Turner as fans. So why haven't they been able to make these necessary adjustments. I think Zach Taylor kind of has that that mentality where it's like he just wants to stick to his guns and stick with his guys. Um, and I think he definitely has made adjustments because during the first two years with Jim Turner, um, I think Jim Turner had more of a say and who's going in each week at offensive line. And Zach Taylor just kind of ran with it. But now in his third year, Zach Taylor wants some more, someone, some stability, especially after. Joe Burrow's terrible knee injury. He wants some stability at that offensive line. And um, I think he just is eager to keep his guys in that he thinks are the best players. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's obviously not working. So you need to do something in there to fix it. And I think he's just being stubborn at this point. Well, okay, let me ask you this. Why hasn't Jackson Carmen played? And he, when he was playing, was playing well at times. It was weird because on one hand, they said he had like a back injury, but then I thought that he was fine from that. And then he would miss some practices, but ever since then, like, you haven't heard anything from him. He was your second-round pick. I mean, he was a second-round pick, and he's not playing at all. He's a third string. And even with injuries and uh, people going down on, with COVID, you haven't heard anything about it. You haven't heard anything about Jackson Carmen. I mean, he's kind of an afterthought. You almost forget that he's on the team. And they're saying that Hakeem Adeniji is playing so well at right guard. Well, from what I've seen the last couple of weeks, he's not playing well at all. No. So why why would you put Jackson Carmen back in there? I mean, if you really believe in these guys enough to draft them with a second-round draft pick, why would you not play them? And I get that you drafted Hakeem Adeniji two drafts ago, but that shouldn't make any difference. I mean, you drafted a guy in the second round. He was playing well while he was in. And then I don't know if it's injury or I don't know if it's because he's out of shape. I don't know what it is. 
but the result on the field was it was it was yielding good results. And the last few weeks, I should say more than the last few weeks, have not yielded good results. And he's still not getting any push uh, up the depth chart. Um, and it it makes zero sense to me. It makes zero sense to me because here you're going to start a six, as you said, Justin, you're going to start a sixth round draft pick over a second round draft pick, a sixth round draft pick out of Kansas. For over a second-round draft pick out of Clemson, that's been one of the most consistent college football programs in the last seven years. That's what you're gonna do. Like you, you feel like we don't even hear Jackson Carmen's name. When was the last time you heard Xavier Suafilo's name? I is Xavier Suafilo even healthy? I mean, is he even eligible to play? And because, go, go ahead. I would feel like if he was even eligible to play you would at least hear his name somewhat mentioned in the conversation at guard, but it's not. I literally, I could not tell you the last time I even thought about Xavier Suofilo. This is the problem, and this is one of my concerns going into the season. You know, the offensive line, when you have Jonah, Quentin, Trey, like it should be Jackson Carmen and Riley Reith, those five offensive linemen, that's a good five offensive, that's a good group of offensive linemen right there. But the problem is, when one goes down and then another goes down and you have to go to your backups, there's no depth. There's no depth. And that has always been an issue with this team. When they're healthy, they're good. But when they have to go to their bench, then for whatever reason, they just cannot go in there and perform. I marvel at teams over the years that have had so many injuries, but yet it's business as usual. Look at the Ravens this year. Look at the Saints in 2019 when they lost Drew Brees. They went 5-0, didn't flinch. Look at the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. Look at um, any other team, really. I mean, the Patriots were 11-5 when Tom Brady went down and Matt Castle quarterbacked them through that season. I mean, you look at Philadelphia again in 2006. Donovan McNabb goes down. Jeff Garcia comes in, helps to have a veteran quarterback as your backup on your roster. The Eagles win five straight games, win a playoff game. So th- this team... It's, it's the case this season, and it's been the case throughout their, really, franchise history. When they lose key players at key positions, and they have to go to their second stringers, that's a bad that's a bad omen for this team. And it's happening here with the offensive line. I think we just, I think I gave my first key to the game, Justin, and then we spent like 10 minutes talking about that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's... But it, uh, it, it's, le- it's a legitimate concern. Uh, two through four keys to the game for me. Number two, the tackles have to be uh, sound. They have to be able to, you know, withstand Bradley Chubb and Draymond Jones, if Draymond Jones even plays. Number three, um, they got to limit the turnovers. I mean, my God, that was a big key to the game last week, and look what happened. The Niners didn't play a, a very entertaining game, but they didn't turn the ball over, and they scored 10 points off turnovers. Yeah, that'll win you games and lose you games if you're the Bengals. And the number four, get off the field on third down. Don't let Denver get into long drives and grind you out. Make your defense tired, especially in that atmosphere, uh, in the mile high. Justin, your keys to the game. Number one, protect the franchise, as always. Number two is stop the run. I mean, do what you can do. You need to schematically, if you're Lou Anaruma, you need to do something about your linebacker depth. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't have your starters. You have a bunch of backups guys who are on the practice squad just a week or two ago. Um, and you have to do something about Noah Fan. You have to do something about all those passes over the middle because, like you said, they don't throw it down the field very often. They're not the Teddy Bridgewater is not the quarterback that's going to take a bunch of deep shots outside the numbers. They're really a team that wants to go over the middle, beat you in the run game. These linebackers really, really have to step up. And on the other side of the ball, I could say the same thing uh, because uh, was Kenny Young 
uh, who is their typical starting inside linebacker, is not set to play. He did not practice today. He has a concussion. But you also need to take advantage of the run game because Draymond Jones is out, their best defensive lineman. I mean, you could argue Brad, Bradley Chubb, but he has not played very much this year because of injury. Um, and even I don't even think he's registered a sack so far in the season. So Draymond Jones has been easily their best defensive lineman this year. I believe he has five and a half sacks. He is a force. So if you're Trey Hopkins and you're Hakeem Adeniji or whoever ends up getting the start at right tackle or right guard, whatever it may be, you really need to take advantage of that because you don't get these opportunities too much. And I know that the running game wasn't very well, didn't you know, turn out very well the last couple of weeks. But if you can get it turned around this week, get that run game going again, get Joe Mixon going again, that would be huge. Let's get to our players to watch. I mean, you can name a handful of players on both sides of the ball. For me, for the Bengals on offense, I'm going to go with Isaiah Prince because he's starting in place of Riley Reef this week. He's going to have a tough matchup against whoever it is that he's going up against, Bradley Chubb or Draymond Jones. For the Broncos on defense, it is Bradley Chubb, Draymond Jones, and then Patrick Sertan. Broncos on offense, the two running backs, and Noah Fant. And then for the Bengals on defense, it's their linebackers and... Oh, sorry, I was going to text about the game on Monday between the Raiders and Browns. So for the Bengals, it's their linebackers and then their interior defensive linemen, B.J. Hill, D.J. Reader, Larry Okunjobi, stopping that run or what, whatever's going middle of the field right at the line of scrimmage. Justin, what say you? Um, I think I'll get to my individual guys on offense and defense for the Bengals, but I think overall the most important guy that's going to be um, on the sideline on the field is Zach Taylor. What is he going to do in the absence of Riley Reef and Chidobe Wouzier and three or four of your linebackers who are injured? What are you going to do? Are you going to just sit down and fold and then end up missing the playoffs and just say, okay, well, maybe next year? Is it, or is he going to say, okay, no, we have a real shot of winning this division and making it to the playoffs? Um, that's my big thing is, is can he handle some success? We haven't seen it so far this year. Um, you're on a two-game losing streak. Can you turn it around and get this team back on track with three really big games ahead of you? Um, offensively, I'm going to say it's going to be have to be Trey Hopkins because he's not going to have Draymond Jones to block. He's not going to have the, one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL right now to block against. So can they get some push up on the front of the line and get this run game going? Because he's a guy who I was really having high hopes for this year. He has not played up to his potential at all. Missed a couple of games with injury. Um, and I know he missed a couple practices this week due to, Ill, due to a non-COVID-related illness, but he's projected to play. And can he actually take advantage of a guy that – is playing at a very high level, Draymond Jones being out, get some push and get Joe Mixon to have a very good game um, like he's shown that he can so far this year. On defense, I'm going to have to say Jermaine Pratt. Jermaine Pratt has been our best linebacker all year. Even when Logan Wilson was playing, Jermaine Pratt was kind of the forgotten guy, but Jermaine Pratt is playing like one of the best offenders, one of the best linebackers in all of football right now. I don't care just the AFC North, just the AFC. No, Jermaine Pratt, in my opinion, is playing like one of the best linebackers in all of football. He's playing at a very high level. Um can you get the other guys who are just coming off the practice squad, guys who are he's not familiar playing with, on the right track, and can he get them to have success? Defend, or defensively for Denver, I'm going to say Justin Simmons. Five interceptions on the season. I believe that's second or third in the NFL, playing at a very high level. Um, they're going to have to attack down the field because, like I mentioned earlier, earlier, they have very good corners. They have a very good defense. But you need to connect down the field because you sh it's shown – that when they do that, they can win games. Jamar Chase had two long touchdowns this past game. Yeah, they weren't 60, 70 yarders, 
but they're 25, 30 plus. Um, they obviously have very good success with it. And you need to connect with T Higgins down the middle of the field, like they've been able to the last couple of weeks, because that's really is what's giving them success. And offensively for Denver, I'm going to just say the run game, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, can these linebackers and the Bengals stop them? Because these two guys are playing at a very high level. It's a very good one-two punch, maybe the best in all the NFL. Um, how are the Bengals going to stack up against that? And can they get some push on Denver's O-line to stop the run game? It's interesting to me, the battle between the Bengals wide receivers who all have at least 50 receptions, 600 yards, and two touchdowns against the Denver secondary, which as you mentioned, Justin, it is very solid. Justin Simmons, Bryce Callahan is expected back this week. Could have gone last week, but the Broncos said they wanted to give him an extra week of practice before he comes back, so he'll be back this week. And then the big the big player, Patrick Sertan. Patrick Sertan II. Justin, do you remember, and for those of you listening, I'm sure you do, if you followed LSU football back in 2019, Justin, remember when LSU played Alabama, what a premier matchup on the perimeter was? Oh, I remember Chase and Sertan. Okay. That was do, a big one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Talk about, think about this, Justin. Think of all the players that played in that game that we're going to see in this game on Sunday. I, just think about that for a minute. The Broncos have Patrick Sertan and Jerry Judy. The Bengals have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I'm just thinking about the players that were on the field in that game that we're going to see in this game on Sunday. It, it, it is kind of unique to think about. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's, and I mean, they're all very important key players, and they're not just backups. They're not just, they're guys who we're not going to not see playing. They're guys who are going to have a huge impact on this game and could decide the winner or loser of this game. By the way, do you know Chase's stats from that game two years ago in Tuscaloosa? I do not. I'm going to guess it's a lot. Six receptions, 140 yards, and a touchdown. Hopefully that's what's he, that's what he's going to bring on a Sunday. Well, in it, and in thin air where the ball can fly, yeah, that's what you hope for. And Jamar Chase, by the way, milestone watch coming into this game. Jamar Chase, Justin, needs 23 yards, just 23 yards to pass A.J. Green for the most receiving yards by a Bengals rookie in franchise history. The record for an NFL rookie is also within reach somewhat. 1,488 by Justin Jefferson last year. Did, did you sense Jamar Chase got back on track a little bit on Sunday against the 49ers, especially in that fourth quarter? I think so. It just what really is beneficial is when Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase kind of have that um, just that connection that you don't even need to speak. You could just know what a guy's thinking. That's what happened when that with that first touchdown is on that fourth and five. Joe Burrow escaped out of the pocket. He threw it one way. Jamar Chase just he knew what Joe Burrow was going to do. He decided to run the other way and it ended up being a touchdown. It was a great play by Chase to stay in bounds and catch it. And that's just a connection that we were hoping for. And that what that's what we got on Sunday. Hopefully we get that again this Sunday. Jamar Chase, 10 touchdowns this season. He is tied for the AFC lead in receiving yards and touchdowns, I believe. He's got 55 receptions as well. So, I mean, he's been having just an unbelievable uh, rookie. Is it 55 receptions? Uh, he, I mean, he's been having just an unbelievable rookie season. All right. This game, Justin, will be decided where? It's going to be the linebackers for both guys because, or for both teams because both teams are missing very important uh, players at that position. Kenny Young for the Broncos, and then obviously like damn near the entire linebacker group for the Bengals outside of Jermaine Pratt. So I think that's what's going to be huge. Both 
both positions stopping one another's tight ends and the run, that's what's going to determine this game. By the way, it's 60 receptions. I should have guessed that correctly. 1,035 yards and 10 touchdowns. He leads all rookies in receiving yards. He's fifth league-wide there, and he's tied for ninth league-wide in touchdowns um, with 10 receiving touchdowns. So team rec- he's closing down team records for both catches and receiving yards. So, I mean, he's been having just an unbelievable season. And as you mentioned with the Bengals linebackers, that's the key to this game for me. Um with the Bengals defense versus the Broncos offense, but the other way around, it's going to be who wins the battles between the Bengals, the battle between the Bengals receivers and Broncos secondary. That's to me where this game will be decided game picks an all important game. Excuse me. Between these two teams, I've seen both. I've seen both teams get picked to win this game. Excuse me again, Justin, what about you? It's, it's very hard. This is one of the toughest matchups this year with the Bengals because both teams obviously are fighting for a playoff spot. Both teams with the exact same record. Denver is always a very tough place to play. Um, when they get that ground game going, man, they're a tough team to beat. Yeah, they're missing some key guys on defense, but our defense versus their offense with their ground game going, that's going to be tough to beat. Um, I think it'll be a very close game, like I predicted for a lot of these games, because Joe Burrow, just even if they get blown out early, they always seem to come back with Joe Burrow, the god of Cincinnati, bringing them back into it. I think Denver Broncos, it's going to be a little too much to handle for the Bengals. They're not going to be able to capitalize off any success that they've had this season. They're going to go to three-game losing streak. I'm going to say 31-28 Broncos. See, I, I think that's a little high with Denver, and I understand if you're weary about this game for two things. One, it's the fact that the Bengals are on a two-game losing streak, and Denver looked really good last week against Detroit. Don't get me wrong, they did, but come on, that was Detroit. I, I've said all season, I can't buy Denver. One week, they look really good when they beat the Chargers, when they beat the Cowboys, whatever. Then the next week, they look like they are just not a good team, like against Kansas City two weeks ago. You know, they also have losses. that They have a loss to um, Baltimore, 23-7. They lost to uh, Cleveland on Thursday night to a backup quarterback. So they've, they've taken their lumps this season. The other thing why you might think the Bengals aren't going to win this game is, Justin, do you know the last two times the Bengals have gone to Denver in December? And we're coming up on the 15-year. I was listening to uh, Jay Morrison and Paul Daner Jr.'s podcast earlier this week. Do you know um, we're coming up on the 15-year anniversary of Brad St. Louis snapping the ball back to Kyle Larson, the, the the holder, in the snow. Larson drops the snap. The Bengals don't kick the extra point. They lose by one point. Do you remember that? Uh, I actually do not. I was not a Bengals fan 15 years ago because I was only six years old. But I've heard, I've definitely heard mentions of it. One of the most painful losses I've experienced as a Bengals fan. The Bengals dropped to eight and seven. Missed the playoffs that year after losing their next game, their final regular season game at home to Pittsburgh. So that's 2006. This, Justin, you should remember. 2015, Monday Night Football, Russell Bodine, bad snap on the shotgun back to A.J. McCarron. Bengals lose by three in overtime. I do remember that game. That was a huge game. And yeah. I, I, man, why are you going to bring back all these bad memories? Well, I'm just saying, you're going to Denver in December, and of course this has been talked about, but... You know, if this is truly a different time of year, or if this is truly a different team, then the Bengals go to win this game. I think they're going to win this game just because I can't buy Denver. 
I think the Bengals are going to come into this game. I think they're going to start off fast. I think they're going to put Denver in a hole early. I don't think they're going to pull away. I think they're going to do a lot of their damage early on in the first half. Denver's going to hang around in the second half. Joe Burrow will make enough plays, though, late. Joe Mixon might make some runs late. I think the Bengals hang on to win this game. I think it's going to be a little wider of a margin. I'll say 27 to 17. The Bengals get a win, get to 8 and 6, set themselves up for a first place showdown potentially with the Baltimore Ravens come next Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. Man, I sure hope so. I just think with the way that they've been playing the last two weeks, um, you know, having the opportunity to come back from down and just weren't able to capitalize. It's uh, I think it's very telling of Zach Taylor and this team. And um, right now it's just hard to have any confidence in them moving forward, especially on the road to Denver. But I hope they prove me wrong. They are 4-2 and two on the road this year, though, as opposed to 3-4 and four at home. Let me ask you this. I saw a comment in The Athletic this week that the Bengals should use the money they were going to give Jesse Bates to as an extension and save that to pay Joe Burrow. Would you be okay with that? knowing Jesse Bates would probably not be here? Uh, it just depends on the safety market. I mean, if we're able to bring in another very good safety, that's a free agent, or maybe even get a guy in the first, or excuse me, not the first, but second round. Um, obviously, I love Jesse Bates. He's been one of my favorite players since he's been here. He's a huge impact safety. Um, he's having one down year. It's his first real down year since He's been drafted, and I don't expect him to continue to play like this. I expect him to fully come back next year and play just like we expected him to this year. But, um, you know, Joe Burrow's going to demand a lot of money. I mean, he's a very good quarterback, and when it comes time to pay him, it's going to cost a lot. So it's uh, I'm glad I'm not in that position. But if if I was running if I was running the Bengals, I'd like to at least get Jesse Bates extended and figure that out with Joe Burrow later on. Your thoughts on his dropped interception on Sunday that could have maybe been a pick six? I think it's kind of a representation of his entire season was, um, you know, he's been close to making a lot of big plays this year, but he just hasn't been able to capitalize. Same with a lot of players on this team and just the team as a whole. You know, they get in their these big positions and they get in these big spots and sometimes they're not able to capitalize. And I think that's just kind of a representation of this entire season. And, you know, you can't just put that game on Jesse Bates. I mean, yeah, it was a huge impact play that, or it could have been a huge impact play and won the Bengals a game. But at the end of the day, they had two muffed punts and too many mistakes that you can't just blame the game that on him. I agree with that. But again, if you're trying to steal a game there and you're a big time safety, which we think of Jesse Bates, at least we thought we did, I think you have to make that play. Um, week 15 overall, just a note, there's, there's been some updates now. The Raiders and Browns likely getting moved to Monday night at five o'clock. The Seahawks and Rams may get moved, possibly Washington and Philadelphia moved as well. But other than that, uh, it's all systems go, no capacity reductions in any NFL stadium hosting the game this week. From what I've heard of, it started last night, week 15, Justin, how about that game between the chiefs and the chargers, Patrick Mahomes, reasserting himself as the best quarterback in the AFC West and the Chiefs. Seven straight wins. Remember when we were talking about what's wrong with Kansas City? I don't think we need to be talking about that now. Three and four, but on a seven-game winning streak, first in the AFC, and the you know the best was even Travis Kelsey throwing up to UC and talking about the Bearcats after the game and after his game-winning touchdown. So that was the best. And, I mean, for as far as playoff uh, implications, I think we wanted the Chiefs to win just because uh, they're nine and four going in that game. And the Bengals have a better chance of jumping the Chargers than they do the Chiefs. Chiefs 10-4. and four. They host Pittsburgh next Sunday, a marquee game there in Kansas City. The Chargers are now 8-6. and six. 
Um, their remaining schedule, if I can find it, their remaining schedule is they're at the Texans next Sunday, so you think that's a win there. Then they're at home to face the Broncos, and then they're at the Raiders, so certainly another loss potentially in the cards for them. But don't forget the Chargers have the tiebreaker over the Bengals if the two teams finish with the same record. The Chargers are two games behind the Chiefs for first place in the AFC West. Other games you are looking forward to this week, Justin? I'm looking at the Steelers-Titans game. I think that will be a very interesting game. Obviously, Steelers are still playing for a divisional lead. First in the division and a playoff spot in the Titans at 9-4. and four. Um, You know, some people think that they're overrated. Some people think that they're perfectly rated. And, um, you know, I think it'll be a closer game than what a lot of people think it will be. Steelers obviously have not been playing incredibly well. Uh, but they found themselves in some games, uh, even if they're down very big in the first half, i.e. the Vikings game. Uh, so I think that'll be a very good game and major playoff implications there. You got that game. I'm looking forward to that. Washington-Philadelphia is an interesting game. There are two teams you maybe didn't expect to be in this position. First time they're meeting this season, a crucial division game there in Philadelphia. The Packers and the Ravens, Justin, another big game there. Lamar Jackson, Har- Jim, uh, John Harbaugh, Ravens head coach, saying he will play, he may play, but one practice this week. You've got um, another game that I'm really, really looking forward to is tomorrow night in Indianapolis, the Patriots and the Colts. Did you know this? And for those of you listening, did you know this is the first game between the Patriots and Colts that will not feature Peyton Manning or Tom Brady? Did you know that? I did not. I mean, that's a lot different than Carson Wentz and Mac Jones. Patriots, of course, were off last week. They've won seven straight. The Colts have rebounded exceptionally well from their 0-3 start and 1-4 start to be 7-6. They're in the playoffs if the season ended today. Justin, I think we are Patriots fans once again if you're a Bengals fan. I agree. Anything that can help the Bengals get into the playoffs, I'll take it. All right, that's going to do it for us. The Bengals and Broncos on Sunday, 4:05. You can watch the game live on CBS. You can hear the game live on ESPN 1530, 1027-WBN, and 700-WLW, and all across the First Star Logistics Bengals Radio Network. Justin and I will be back on Monday to recap the game. Bengals and Broncos, both teams 7-6. and six. Both teams in the hunt for an AFC wildcard berth, maybe division titles in their respective divisions. But... I mean, this is, it is getting late. These games are must-wins, as Joe Burrow says. For Justin Cashman, I'm Alex Frank. You have been listening to the Welcome to the Jungle podcast. We will talk to you very soon.